I don't know what you've been believing God for today, but I dare you to throw your hands in the air and just begin to declare that it's already done. I don't care what it looks like in the face of adversity. Declare it's already now somebody put a praise on that declaration right now. Come on, somebody put a praise of faith. Praise him like it's already done. I dare you to worship him. Like, oh, there's somebody that's serious about your miracle this morning. There's somebody that came serious about your miracle. Get out of my way, baby. I'm not playing with my miracle today. I'm going to praise him like it's already done. Somebody ought to take about 60 seconds and put a praise on top of your miracle. Put a praise on top of your prayer request. Put a praise on your petition.
Somebody magnify the Lord in this place. Come on, magnify him bigger than your problems. Bigger than your obstacles. Bigger than the opposition in front of you. Ooh, yeah. Hallelujah. Clap your hands one more time all over this building and magnify the Lord together. Whoa! My God, there's some faith in the building today. Hey, turn around and tell your neighbor on the way to your seat, tell him whatever you need. Tell him whatever you need. Tell him God's got it. I said God's got it. Hey, I felt something right there. God's got it handled. If you need a healing, he's a doctor in the sick room. If you're in trouble, he's a lawyer in the courtroom. If you need deliverance, he's got a mighty hand in battle. He's got whatever you need, whatever you need, whatever you need. Hallelujah. Clap your hands one more time and give God some praise today. Amen. You can be exceeded in the presence of the Lord. Are you excited to be in the house of the Lord this morning? My, 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 we are certainly sitting in heavenly places. And we are so grateful for the presence of God that is already so evident in this house today. I want to take just a brief moment to give a great big welcome this morning to all of our guests that are here in the house of the Lord with us. Would you help me put your hands together and make some noise, church? Come on, I need to borrow your voice in your hands. Help me show some love to all of our guests that are here. Amen. So good to see you in the house of the Lord. And uh, if you are here for the very first time at the Rock Church, you should have received a VIP invitation card uh, that may look like the ones on the screen behind me. This is just an invitation for you to join us immediately after the service in our VIP room. We've got some uh, light refreshments and a small gift that we'd love to give you just as a token of our appreciation uh, that you came to be with us in the house of God this morning. And uh, we want to show our love to you and our appreciation. One more time, would you put your hands together and welcome all of our first-time guests that are here today. Amen. And it is so good this morning to have Brother Moore back with us, Brother James Moore. All the way from St. Louis, Missouri, would you put your hands together and help me welcome this great man of God who's back in the house of the Lord with us. And uh, we have been praying uh, for the Blash family uh, as, long, as well as the church there in St. Louis. And uh, we know that God has a plan. Amen, somebody. Amen. Also uh, want to say what a privilege it is to have Sister Chrislyn Jackson with us this morning, all the way from Nederland, Texas. This is Pastor Wesley Jackson's niece, and uh, he's no stranger to this house. Would you help me put your hands together and welcome her this morning, all the way from Texas? And uh, we were so excited. She's in the house of the Lord with us today. And uh, most of you may already know, and if you don't, uh, 
I want to remind us to continue to pray. Uh, Friday morning, uh, Brother Sean Bennett passed from this life into eternity. And uh, we, we have certainly been mourning his loss. Uh, but one of the unique uh, paradox of living for God is that while we mourn the temporal loss of that person in this world, we rejoice because he is headed to where we're all trying to head. Amen. And the Bible says, beautiful in the sight of God is the death of his saints. And uh, that is not a morbid statement, but that is a statement of somebody who we know is living for God when they take their last breath on this earth, we understand the next time they open their eyes, they are going to behold the wonder of his glory. And we thank God for that, that he ran a good race, that he kept the faith. Amen, somebody. And uh, we continue to pray for his family and uh, uh, everybody here that, that uh, has been so connected to him, many of you for many, many years. And uh, he will be greatly missed. But we love him, and we know that if we keep living for God, we've got hope of rejoicing together on the other side. Amen. Amen. We are tentatively planning a memorial service uh, for Brother Sean on Monday, the 21st. And uh, there will be more information and details to follow. Uh, but as of right now, we are planning a memorial service on Monday, the 21st. And uh, we love and appreciate each of you and your prayers so very much. How many of you feel like God is doing something absolutely incredible in this house today? Can you sense the divine hand of God in this place today? I want you to stand with me as we go to the word of the Lord uh, this morning. I could not escape this text this week. I was... Uh, privileged to um, minister at a national conference this week. And um, it never fails any time that I am not uh, geographically here in Fort Myers. I have out-of-body experiences. <laughs> now, before you get freaked out me saying that, let me explain. My body is there but my heart and my mind is here. Amen. And um, this week as I was praying, I could not get away from this text. And so I want to obey the Holy Ghost this morning. Amen. 1 Samuel chapter 16 and verse number 1 is where I want to invite you to read the word of the Lord with me today. 1st Corinthians or 1st Samuel rather chapter 16 verse uh, number 1 And the Lord said unto Samuel How long wilt thou mourn for Saul seeing that I have rejected him from reigning over Israel. Fill thine horn with oil and go. I will send thee to Jesse the Bethlehemite. 
For I have provided me a king among his sons. How long wilt thou mourn for Saul, seeing I have rejected him? The book of Acts chapter 13 and verse 22 says, And when he had removed him, he raised up unto them David to be their king. To whom also he gave testimony and said, I have found David, the son of Jesse, a man after mine own heart, which shall fulfill all my will. And for a few moments this morning, I simply want to preach about the tale of two kings. The tale of two kings. Would you put your Bibles down and clap your hands one more time unto the Lord in this house. Oh, let's give God praise for his presence in this place today. Jesus, we love you. We magnify you. Amen. God bless you. You may be seated in Jesus' name. There is perhaps no greater literary comparison in scripture between two people than that of King Saul and King David. The word of the Lord goes to great extents to present to us a picture of contrast between these two kings. I do not believe that it is coincidental that these two kings, Saul and David, also represent the first two dynasties of the children of Israel and the kingdom of God in the earth. It is almost as if right out of the gate, God said, I am going to show you a comparison of two different kings. There are many similarities that we can find concerning these two kings in the word of God that further define the premise of which we find their contradiction. And so it is that perhaps this is the premise from which I want to extrapolate the mind of God for this service today. First of all, we must understand that both of these kings were chosen by God. We often think in our mind when we find somebody who falls short and becomes an example of fallacy that somehow maybe they snuck in the back door or maybe uh, there was a mistake. But can I remind you that God doesn't make uh, mistakes. Both of these kings were chosen by God. Uh, just like when Jesus chose the 12 disciples, Judas was not a mistake. Just because he betrayed Jesus 
and sold him out for 30 pieces of silver. When you pray and study and understand the word of God, you can see the hand and the fingerprint of God even in Judas. And so these two men are both selected as kings. And there is perhaps one particular verse that defines for us like none other the primary characteristic concerning Saul and his selection as king. You can find it in 1 Samuel chapter 9 and verse number 2. As Saul is looked at and considered among the men of Israel, the Bible says that from his shoulders and upward that there was none like him. From his shoulders and upward, there was nobody in the entire land that compared to Saul. It goes on to say that he was a choice young man and that there were none among the children of Israel that were goodlier than he was. And in verse number 16, the Bible says that the Lord commands Samuel uh, to anoint him uh, to be captain uh, over the people uh, of Israel. And I want to stop here and preach for a moment uh, because there is a lot that can be learned uh, from the opening words of that verse uh, describing to us uh, that from his shoulders uh, and upward uh, there was none like Saul. Uh, on the outside, uh, he stood head and shoulders uh, above everybody else. Uh, when you looked at his talent uh, and you looked at even his physical stature, uh, the Bible says uh, that head and shoulders, uh, he was different than anybody else uh, in the kingdom of God. Uh, but there is an obvious uh, uh, correlation uh, that begins to unveil itself uh, in the text uh, that when it comes uh, to a relationship with God, uh, it was also known of Saul uh, that it was only from his shoulders uh, and upward. Uh, somewhere Saul had a knowledge of the God of Israel. Somewhere Saul had some kind of revelation, but it never went from his head to his heart. And so it was that King Saul was never a king after the heart of God. He was head and shoulders above everybody else. But let me preach to somebody today that if you are going to live for God successfully uh, somewhere uh, it's got to become more uh, than head knowledge uh, somewhere uh, your relationship uh, and your walk with God uh, has to go beyond uh, what you know uh, and it has to become uh, what is inside uh, of your heart uh, it doesn't do you any good uh, to be able to quote the scripture uh, if you don't get it in your heart to obey it. It doesn't matter how much you memorize the word. If you don't hide the word in your heart, it can't just be hidden in your head. It's got to be hidden inside of your heart.
And Saul was head and shoulders above the rest. A goodlier, the Bible says, than him could not be found. When you looked at him, he was the quintessential king. When you looked at him, he was the image of what you would think a king should look like. But God was trying to teach a lesson to his people because in contrast to Samuel or to Saul, the Bible says in 1 Samuel chapter 16 and 18 concerning David that he was cunning in his playing. A mighty and a valiant man. Let me stop there for just a moment and, and, and get off track. The Bible said that he was a cunning musician. He wasn't a jackleg musician. As a matter of fact, when they needed demons to flee, they called on David because he was a cunning musician. You know, there's an ideology out there that says uh, that, that, you know, if you're going to be a musician uh, or if you have a particular talent, uh, that, that, that it's all just uh, the anointing of God. And it's also, so make sure that you don't practice too much and make sure that you don't get too good uh, at whatever it is because, uh, you know, it's just uh, the Holy Ghost flowing through. I, dare, I beg to differ with you. Uh, God gives you a gift. Uh, but then he expects you uh, to take the talent uh, that he has given you uh, and work on it uh, and multiply it. Uh, oh, I can read in one place uh, that God took one man's talent uh, that he would not develop uh, and he gave it to somebody else uh, that understood, listen, uh, if you've got a gift from God, uh, don't you sit in the house of God on your talent uh, and just feel like, well, God gave this to me uh, and if he wants to use it, then he can. No, you've got uh, a responsibility uh, to do something uh, with the gift uh, that God has given you. Uh, you're going to be accountable uh, for the talents uh, that God has placed in your hand. As a matter of fact, in the book of Genesis chapter 2, one verse says that there was seed in the ground that had not yet come forth for two reasons. Number one, that the Lord had not yet watered the earth and there was no man to till the ground. God puts the seed in the ground and then it takes two things. It takes the hand of God and it takes a man to till the ground. David was a cunning musician. He was a mighty and valiant man, a man of war, a man that was prudent in matters, a comely person. And it goes on to say that the Lord is with him. It makes no mention of his stature. It makes no mention of him being head and shoulders. But it tells us that there was a relationship between him and between God. And he may not be head and shoulders above everybody else. But you write it down that 
the Lord is with him. And if you go on to read in the text, verse number seven says, this is God speaking. He says, I look on the heart. You've got your eyes on the exterior of man. But I'm looking for something deeper than a head and shoulders relationship. You picked a king based off what he knew. And I'm picking a king based off of who he knows. There is a contrast between these two men. Verse number 12 goes on to say, Arise and anoint him, for this is he. Both of these men are powerful military leaders. They are both responsible over and over again for vanquishing the enemies of God's people. And their military prowess became so pronounced that in one place the Bible says that the maidens of the country would run around singing songs. Saul has killed his thousands and David has killed his ten thousands. They were talented military leaders. They became powerful leaders amongst God's people. And yet one of them is rejected by God and the other one is heralded as a man after God's own heart. What is it between these two men? What is the difference between these two men? Can I preach to you for a moment that it wasn't their successes that made them different? It wasn't that Saul killed his thousands and David his ten thousands that defined the difference between these two kings. Can I preach to you this morning uh, that it wasn't even their failures uh, that defined uh, the future and destiny uh, of both of these kings. Uh, for both of the kings uh, made egregious mistakes uh, and committed egregious uh, sins uh, before God. Uh, what was it uh, that caused a difference uh, between two men uh, that were selected by God, uh, that were both successful leaders that were both powerful military leaders that both have the influence of the people on their side what was the difference between these two kings you can read the spiritual epitaph of Saul as he is lamented by David in 2 Samuel chapter 1 and verse number 19, it says, and this is David writing his thoughts of mourning concerning Saul. He says, the beauty of Israel is slain upon thy high places. And then he asks this question, how are 
the mighty fallen. You understand that Saul was an icon to David. As David grew up a young man, Saul represented the apex of achievement. He was a young man that rose in stature and prominence and authority and influence in the nation. He was a man that David would have looked up to, that David, even behind the scenes, as a son-in-law, saw and admired so much that he pens the word uh, that this was the beauty uh, of Israel. Uh, Saul uh, was the gem uh, of Israel. Uh, he was the beautiful uh, representation. Uh, but then he ponders uh, a conundrum uh, and he says, How then uh, are the mighty uh, fallen? How can someone with so much ability uh, fall? How can somebody uh, with so much favor uh, end up like Saul? How can somebody uh, who is head and shoulders uh, above everybody else uh, fall? Does anybody know what I'm talking about? Uh, have you ever been uh, in a place uh, where somebody that you looked up to, uh, somebody that you admired uh, fell away uh, and walks away from God? God and you stand in a conundrum uh, saying oh my goodness uh, how uh, did they do that uh, uh, they were so thoughtful uh, they were so prayerful uh, I admired them uh, I admired their walk with God uh, how is there anybody beside me uh, that has ever asked the question uh, how uh, are the mighty uh, fallen How are the mighty fallen? He goes on to describe it by saying this. In verse 20, David says, Tell it not in Gath, and publish it not in the streets of Ascalon lest the daughters of the Philistines rejoice and the daughters of the uncircumcised triumph. I love the spirit of David here because here's what David said. We are all shaken by what happened to Saul. We are all taken aback. He said, but whatever you do, don't let me catch you talking about it in the streets. Don't let me catch you gossiping about him his fall. Don't you let me catch you posting about it on Instagram and texting your friends about the demise of Saul. Why? Because he had a revelation. God gets no glory when one of his kings fall. God doesn't get, come on, the enemy would take advantage to gloat and boast. David had a spirit that said, don't you dare put the name of Saul in the hand of the enemy because he fell. It would be wise of us to take note of this principle in scripture that when somebody falls, when somebody makes a mistake, when somebody is attacked, it's not our business to run to the next conference, to run to the next group of young people, to run to the next chat or the next group text and start discussing the details and start, no, why? because God gets no glory when somebody falls.
He said, I don't want the totters of the Philistines to rejoice. I don't want them to take this as a point of celebration. My God, I feel like preaching this in the Holy Ghost. Because I got a word for the devil. You may have won the battle, but God won the war. And the word isn't final. Come on, I need somebody that's been there before. I may have fallen down, but don't count me out. Because I'm getting back up. Rejoice, not against me, oh mine enemy. For when I fall, I shall arise. Don't you celebrate my demise prematurely. I may have messed up. I may have fallen. I may have made a mistake. But you better believe that I'm going to get back up again. Because a righteous man falleth seven times. But yea, seven times he gets back up. I just need somebody with a testimony in the building that I got back up again. That was me you saw laying in the side of the road. That was me that you saw discouraged. That was me that you heard talking out of my mind. But I got news for the devil. I got back up again. And today my hands are in the air. Today I got a praise in my spirit. I just need about 200 people that would lift your voice and testify. Come on, come on. My God, I want to keep preaching, but I feel like I'm stopped here for a moment. You know, that's what Job said. He said, oh, that my enemy would write a book. He said, because you can't just write one chapter. If you're going to write the book, you got to tell the whole story. So don't stop with the chapter where I messed up. Keep on telling the story. Keep on reading the book. Because if you turn the page, you'll find out that I didn't stay down. If you turn the page, you'll find out that I got back up and I went. My God, somebody ought to shout, devil, I wish you would write a book. I wish you would tell the whole story. See, there's some real people in the building uh, that can testify this morning. Uh, you might see me right now uh, in my suit, in my tie, uh, and my dress and pretty shoes. Uh, but there was a time uh, that I got discouraged. Uh, there was a time uh, that I made some mistakes uh, and I fell down. Uh, and while I was down, uh, the devil wanted to close the lid uh, on the casket. Uh, but it was a word from God uh, that reached to where I was. Uh, and said though ye are dead yet shall you live and I'm here to testify you can make it you can come out of it you can be what God has called you to I'm preaching to somebody it's time to get up it's time to get up Get up. 
Get up from failure. Get up from the mistake. Get up from the challenges. Don't you worry about the word of the enemy. Don't you worry. Sometimes the words you hear are not even from people. They're from your own heart that the Bible says condemns us. Our heart condemns us when we fail. But God, the Bible says, is greater than our heart. Come on, who am I preaching to? Your God is greater than your condemning heart. Your God is bigger than your flesh that wants to condemn. It's time to get up. It's time to get up. If you can get up, you can win. I said, if you get up, the fight is fixed. The fight said the fight is already fixed. God just needs you to stay in the arena and keep on fighting. David said, Saul fell, but don't you run with that news. And then he says something interesting in verse 21. He said, ye mountains of Gilboa, let there be no dew, and neither let there be rain upon you, nor fields of offerings. For there the shield of the mighty is vilely cast away. The shield of Saul. Now I don't have time to preach this, but there are powerful implications here. Because throughout scripture there is one supernatural principle we find in the New Testament that tells us to take unto you the whole armor of God. Why? That ye may be able to stand in the evil day. And if you keep reading, it says, above all, the shield of faith, wherewith ye shall be able to quench the fiery darts of the wicked. There is preeminence that is placed above all of the rest of the armor above the helmet of salvation and the breastplate of righteousness and all of those things above all don't forget the shield of faith because when the enemy brings those arrowy fiery darts it's going to be the shield of faith for there the shield of the mighty is vilely cast away. The shield of Saul, and here it is, as though he had not been anointed with oil. That pronoun he is not referring to Saul, but it is a personification of the shield. The shield was so much a part of Saul that it personifies it and gives it a pronoun. Most transliterations read, though the shield of Saul 
was cast away. And though the shield, like the shield, had never been rubbed with oil. What does that mean? You have to understand that in those days of ancient warfare, when we think about a shield, often the image that comes to our mind is some large metal shield with some sort of emblem or, or insignia embossed on the front of it. But those were not the shields that they used for warfare. Those shields were extremely heavy and they were only used for purposes of decorum. When they would ride out in a parade, when they would do something to show the strength of the kingdom on display, they would use those big metal shields. But the shields that they actually used for warfare were not made of metal. The shields that they used for warfare most of the time were shields uh, that were fabricated from wooden frames. uh, And over the wooden frame, they would stretch the hide of animals uh, over that wooden frame. And when they tanned the hide just right uh, and they kept the leather supple, uh, when the arrow would hit, uh, there was a level of of give in that shield uh, that would absorb the energy of the arrow. uh, and it would deflect the arrow. And, and the, the, the principle here is that there was a responsibility of those soldiers to keep oil on their shield. Why? Because it was the oil that kept the shield supple. It, it is what kept the leather from drying out and becoming brittle and cracking. And if the soldier neglected to oil the shield, it wouldn't be long before the the shield would become brittle uh, and when that fiery dart uh, would come at the soldier uh, it would not have uh, the constituency that it needed uh, to deflect the shot uh, and it would shatter uh, because it was brittle uh, and so it is this uh, that David uses uh, to describe what happened to Saul uh, he said what happened to Saul uh, how are the mighty fallen uh, he said it's almost like uh, the shield was violent cast away as though it had not been anointed with oil. I don't have time to get into this, but when it comes to oil in Scripture, you understand that it represents the anointing of God, and it represents the Holy Ghost. When you read about oil, it is the flowing of the Holy Ghost, and there is something in the life of a believer you've got to maintain the flow of oil in your walk with God when you receive the Holy Ghost it's not a one time experience it's not something you can only do on Sundays speaking in tongues in the altar because if you do it won't take long before your shield of faith begins to dry out it won't take long before your shield becomes brittle and unable to resist uh, the fiery darts uh, of the wicked. Uh, There's got to be a daily relationship uh, with God uh, whereby you maintain uh, your faith. Uh, I came to preach to somebody this morning. uh, Above 
all. Take the shield of faith that ye may be able to quench the fiery darts of the wicked. Your primary weapon in resisting the enemy is your shield of faith. And it's got to be maintained by a daily walk with God and praying in the Holy Ghost. It's when you stop praying in the Holy Ghost. It's when you start trying to survive from church service to church service. That that shield starts to become less and less strong. That shield starts to harden and it becomes bitter. Saul, you started off on the right track. But the same oil that flowed in the beginning of your anointing has to be the same oil that flows in your life every day. The same, come on, I'm preaching to somebody. That same relationship with God you had as a new convert when you'd wake up every day and you felt like praying and you woke up every day and you said, even if I don't feel like praying, I've got to talk to Jesus. i got to get the oil coming. Come on, somebody. Uh, the, uh, the same anointing uh, that kept you in the beginning uh, is the same anointing uh, that's going to keep you uh, in every single battle that you come again. Who am I preaching to? Uh, it's been a long time uh, since you were in an altar uh, broken before God uh, and the oil of the Holy Ghost uh, flowing uh, and anointing uh, your faith in God. Many people living dry lives trying to get drunk on Sunday in the Holy Ghost hoping it'll last throughout the week. And if you begin to live life that way it will only be a matter of time before the enemy catches you in the right moment of vulnerability and he shoots his shot Pun intended. Your faith is weakened. And instead of deflecting the fiery darts, how are the mighty fallen? He said it's like it's like Saul's shield dried up. And so 1 Samuel chapter 31 gives the account of Saul's suicide on Mount Gilboa. And his legacy becomes one of self-destruction. When your shield dries out, eventually he casts it away. Somewhere, he looked at the shield and said, this ain't working for me anymore. This praying isn't working for me anymore. You're working with a dry shield, Saul. 
What do you expect when you haven't maintained your walk with God? And he gets frustrated and he casts the shield of faith away. And it is in that moment that he encounters a surviving descendant of the Amalekites. The same Amalekites that the man of God told him to destroy chapters earlier. The sin that the man of God said, you better get that out of your life. Destroy the Amalekites. He said, don't leave anything alive. But Saul thought he knew better. He said, I just left the best. And I did it for God. I left, just, I left enough that I can control it. When he cast his shield away, it was an Amalekite that looked him in the face before he took his last breath. And Saul dies a death of self-destruction. In contrast, David's legacy is echoed all the way into the book of Acts chapter 13. As a man after God's own heart. And then again in Hebrews chapter 11 verse 32. He is chronicled with those that are heroes of the faith. The tale of two kings. Both of them chosen by God. Both of them powerful leaders. One is rejected and one is revered. Can I preach to you this morning? And I just finished my introduction to get to this place. That it wasn't their success that differentiated them. It was not their defeat that differentiated them. As a matter of fact, David's sin may have been more egregious than the sin of Saul. He commits adultery and then has the man murdered who is the husband of the adulteress. It wasn't their success and it wasn't their failure. What defined the difference between the two kings was how they handled their failure. I came to preach to somebody in the building uh, the difference uh, between the mighty uh, and the mighty that are fallen uh, is not that one doesn't make mistakes. Uh, it's not that one doesn't fall. Uh, it's how uh, you handle uh, your failure. I wish I was in the right church this morning. I wish I had some honest people uh, in the building this morning. Uh, failure uh, is part of the journey uh, to success. Uh, and there's nobody in the building uh, from the choir riser uh, to the pulpit uh, to the back door. Uh, there is nobody in the building uh, that is exempt uh, from moments of failure in your life. Uh, and the difference uh, between the heart of God and being rejected by God uh, is how you handle your failure. It is not if, it's when you fall. The Bible says when 
you fall. You have an advocate with God when you fall. The Bible does not hide the episodes of their failure. The curtain is pulled back and God allows us to see. 1 Samuel chapter 15. God has reached a breaking point in his patience with Saul. He has been trying to talk to him. He has been trying to correct him. He has been trying to get through to Saul. And instead of Saul repenting, instead of Saul listening to the voice of God, Saul kept making excuses. It's getting quiet in here. Saul would keep pointing fingers at other people and blaming them for his condition. The people, but the people. He would keep making excuses for why he could not obey the simplest request from the man of God. Didn't I tell you to do this? Yes, but. Didn't I say to do that? Yeah, except for. But didn't I say? Yes, but you don't understand. But didn't I say? And he got in the habit of resisting the word of God. He got in the habit of quenching the voice of God that's in his life until finally God speaks to the prophet and says I want you to go down there and you tell Saul that I have rent the kingdom from his hand and I have rejected him I want to do away with the notion that you can live however you want to live as long as you want to live and somehow never face the rejection of God. That might be the feel-good message that the church across town wants to tell you uh, because they want you to sit in the pew uh, and keep giving your tithes and offering uh, while you're on your way to a devil's hell uh, because there's not a man in the pulpit uh, that'll preach the truth uh, of God's word. Uh, but I've got a mandate from God this morning uh, to preach to you in this building uh, that you can live your life in a way uh, that you push yourself uh, over the edge uh, of God's attempts uh, and his grace and mercy to reach you. You tell him, I've rejected him. And so, the prophet comes to Saul. He's on assignment from God to tell him. When what does he hear? Hey, what's the sound of the offering? Oh, well, you weren't here, Saul. So I just did what I thought I had to do. What a definition of that spirit. Well, my man of God wasn't here for me, so I did what I had to do. My pastor's not here for me, so I just got to do what I got to do. I don't know where that came from, but somebody needs to hear that in the Holy Ghost this morning. You weren't here. You're supposed to be here, and you weren't here. 
He didn't realize that he was pleading on his behalf with God. And while he's frustrated over where is the preacher, the preacher's on his knees talking to God on his behalf. But God knew the heart of that wicked man. And he said, quit mourning for Saul. Quit praying for him. I've rejected him as king. So he says, Saul, God has taken the kingdom from your hands. And he's given it to another man. And as he turns to walk away, Saul, in his anger, snatches at the garment of the man of God. And it tore off in his hands. If it wouldn't have torn, he would have yanked the preacher. And when the garment tore off in his hands, the prophet spun around and said the same way that you rent the, my garment, the kingdom has been rent from you. And you want to know what Saul's response was? Saul said, you know what? He said, Pastor, I need you to do me a favor. He said, we're supposed to go out in front of the people right now. And if, if we go out there in front of everybody and you're not with me, they're going to think something's wrong. So would you just do me a favor and walk out there with me like everything's okay? You see, that's the spirit behind Saul's heart. It was a shoulders and upwards experience with God. All he cared about was appearing right and not being right. All he cared about was playing the part. If I can get the people to think I'm okay, then it doesn't really matter if I am okay. I'm preaching to some people in the building. You've been living too long. You know right when to clap. You know right when to sing. You know just how to move your hands. You've got all of the dress standards down, but your shield has been dry for a long time, and the enemy has surrounded you, and he's waiting for just the right moment to take his shot. He's waiting for just the right moment. He's waiting. And the deception is this. Here's the greatest deception of Saul is he took the mercy of God as God's approval on his lifestyle. The Bible says because the judgment of God is not executed speedily, it is continually in the heart of man to do evil. If you had to pay the price for your sin when you did it, there'd be a whole lot less sinning going on. But the fact that you haven't paid the price yet and you're living on credit, on grace, you think that must mean it's okay. You see, I'm disobeying God, and I'm all right. I'm preaching way better than you're shouting right now. You see, I've been doing what I want to do, and nothing bad happened to me. I'm still coming to church. I'm still singing in the choir. You are living in a dangerous position with God because it's God's grace that is withholding judgment, giving you a chance to get right with God. 
See, I, I'm sneaking around doing what I know I'm not supposed to. And look, no fire fell from heaven to kill me. Look, I'm still happy. Look, I, I don't give my tithing to the kingdom of God. And look, I still got a nice car and a house. You've been sowing seed that by God's grace you have not yet reaped the harvest. And you're mistaking it as an approval of God on the life you've been living. And it further drove deception into the heart of Saul. And so he said, I'm getting away with it. So I'm going to keep going further and further and longer. I can keep living like this until finally the time came. How were the mighty fallen? He allowed his heart to become hardened. You see, you had better find a place to fall on the rock before the rock falls on you. I'm preaching to somebody this morning. You better find a place to humble yourself in the presence of God before God has to humble you in the presence of everybody else. Come on. You better get to praying while you got an opportunity to humble yourself in the presence. Come on, Saul. You better repent before God has to reject you in front of the nation. Come on, Saul. You better get your heart right before it's too late and God takes the kingdom out of your hand. You see, it wasn't overnight that this happened. This was a process that led Saul to a place of reprobation. There is no more dangerous place in the world for a child of God to be than to be living a life of reprobation. What does reprobation mean? It literally means void of judgment. It means that your compass is broken and you can't even tell what's right and wrong anymore. You have lived in deception so long that the lies between, between the, the lines between lies and truth have become blurred and you don't even know what the truth is versus what the lie is that the enemy has been feeding you. And there's a process to reprobation in the scripture. Number one, God always sends his spirit. He sends his spirit to deal with you. But in one place in the Bible, the Bible says, why do you quench the spirit? The Holy Ghost tries to convict you. And instead of you coming to an altar to pray, you double down and sit on the pew instead of coming to an altar to pray. What are you doing? You're quenching the spirit. The spirit is trying to get your attention and you tune it out by putting your headphones in and playing music. God starts prompting you to pray. Hey, I'm trying to deal with you. So you just start cramming your life full of activities, playing video games, doing anything you can to drown out God's spirit trying to deal with your heart. 
services like this morning, God will be talking to you. And you'll push him to the side. The Holy Ghost will prompt you, come on. You've got to go to the altar and pray. Come on. You've got to come and you'll just know. After you reject his spirit, he sends his word. All right? If you're not going to respond to the Holy Ghost, I'm going to put a word in the mouth of the prophet to come to you. I'm going to put, thus saith the Lord, in the mouth of the prophet to come to you. And the word of God starts preaching to you like this morning. And God starts tapping you on the shoulder saying, hey, you've been ignoring me. So now I've given a word to the prophet to get your attention. You better listen up. It's time to repent. It's time to get your life right with me. But there'll be some who do what Saul did. And they reject the word of God. You start making every excuse in the world why you're not in the altar praying. You'll find the perfect time to grab a baby and go to the bathroom to take care of a baby. You'll find the perfect time that you had to take a particular phone call. You'll find the perfect, what are you doing? You are rejecting the word of God that's calling on you. Come on. A word will come from the pulpit saying, come on, please. Please come to the altar and pray. And you think it's just a man. And you ignore the voice of God speaking through his mouthpiece. When really it's the voice of God saying, come on. Let us reason together. Come on, I got to talk to you. Come on. I'm in the Holy Ghost this morning. Well, I can pray at home. Well, I can pray in my pew. That's nothing but a lie that you're telling yourself because you are running from the altar. You see, the altar has significance. The altar is the place where flesh dies. The altar is the place of sacrifice. And your flesh doesn't want to go to an altar. Your carnal nature doesn't want to die. So it's understandable that when you're carnal, you don't want to come to the altar and pray. You don't want to get out of your pew. You just want enough church experience to check the box uh, and lie to yourself uh, and tell yourself uh, I went to church uh, I'm doing what I'm supposed to do uh, you're lying to yourself uh, while your heart uh, is far from him I'm not going to go to the altar today. and as a last resort He'll send his spirit, he'll send his word, and then he'll send his man. Go down and talk to them. Because they're, they're resisting the spirit. They're quenching the spirit. They're resisting my word. I'm sending you to talk to them. When the man of God has to come to you, it's a sign that probably you've been ignoring the Holy Ghost dealing with you. And you've been ignoring the word of God that has come to you. And as a last resort, God is sending his man to deal with you. 
came to preach as a prophet this morning. Woe unto them that are at ease in Zion. Woe unto them that come to church on Sunday and keep playing on Monday. Woe unto them that are callousing their heart and their spirit service after service going through the motions going through the protocol but how long has it been since God had your attention and you prayed with tears flowing and a heart of repentance toward God I'm preaching to you about the tale of two kings there was one word that separated Saul and David it was the word repentance I said it was the word repentance when God came to Saul he didn't repent he rejected the word he resisted the word oh but when the word of God came to David the Bible says that David became broken and you can read it in Psalm 51 he said have mercy upon me O God according to thy loving kindness and according to the multitude of my transgressions the multitude of thy tender mercies blot out my transgressions. Wash me thoroughly from mine iniquity and cleanse me from my sin. For I acknowledge my transgression and my sin is ever before me. He didn't make excuses. He didn't resist the word of the man of God. He didn't cast it away. But he fell on his knees and he said against thee and thee only have I sinned and done this evil sight. goes on to write music come in verse number five behold I was shapen in iniquity and in sin did my mother conceive me listen to the heart of David this was the difference one king was only worried about outside appearances come on man of God just let's make it look like everything's okay but this king said behold Thou desirest truth in the inward parts and in the hidden part. Thou shalt make me to know wisdom. This wasn't a shoulders and upwards king. This was a shoulder and down king. He may have not had it all up here like Saul did, but he had it right here where God wanted it to be. He had it in his heart. Purge me with hyssop and I shall be clean. Wash me and I shall be whiter than snow. tale of the two kings is one king that would not repent and another king that made up his mind I will repent 
I feel like telling somebody this morning, your failure does not surprise God. God's not shocked by your mistakes. The Bible declares him the lamb slain from the foundation. God had answers before you had questions. God had solutions before you had the problems. God had the atonement before you ever needed his covering. God had grace and mercy ready for you uh, before you ever made the mistake, uh, before you ever fell. Uh, God is not surprised by your shortcomings and your failures. One of the things I love about the story of the woman at the well She's living a life of shame because of the mistakes that she's made. She's trying to find the right time of day when nobody will be at the well. I don't want people to see me. I don't want people to ask me questions. I don't want people to know. And when Jesus comes to her, he immediately exposes her. Where's your husband? I don't have a husband. You've rightly spoken. You've had five of them. And you're with a man right now and you're not married to him. It cut straight to the chase. It wasn't to embarrass her. But it was because he wanted her to know. I know all your mistakes. And I still care about you. And I still want to talk to you. And I still have plans for you. And I still have a future for you. Who am I preaching to this morning? The only difference between Saul and David isn't their mistakes. They both made them. But David learned how to repent. David learned how not to lie. On the truth, he learned how to lean on the altar. Can I preach to somebody for a moment? Part of you becoming what God wants you to become is you've got to develop a relationship with this altar. This altar is your best friend in living for God. This altar is not a place of shame. This altar is not a place of somebody calling you out. When you see somebody run to the altar, it's because their shield is anointed with oil and they understand I can't go a single service without making sure that my heart is right with God. Oh, search my heart, God. You see, people with dry shields, when conviction like this comes, they'll resist the altar. But people with anointed shields, they can be living a life clean with no sin, and they'll still come to an altar like this. 
and say, you know what? As far as I know, I'm not sinning, but I've got to respond to the word of God because I know it could be me. And I don't ever want to get in a place where I find myself resisting the move of God. Come on, I'm preaching to somebody in the building about the tale of two kings. The tale is that one king repented and the other king resisted the hand of God. Come on, that's it. You can respond right now to what God is doing all over this place. Come on. You don't have to wait for me to open up the altars. You should be responding to the word of God right now. Come on. I'm preaching to some people this morning that God's reaching for you. God's been calling you. God's been dealing with you. And you've been quenching the spirit. You've been resisting the word. You've been saying no. But today God sent me into this house to one more time make an attempt to reach you in this place. I don't care what you've done. I don't care where you've been. God's got his altar open this morning. Keep praying this morning. I'm going to read one more scripture as we open this altar. The book of Jeremiah chapter 8 and verse number 45. In the New Living Translation, it reads like this. God speaks to the prophet Jeremiah and here's what he says. This is what the Lord says. When people fall down, don't they get up again? When they discover that they're on the wrong road, don't they turn back? Then why do these people stay on their self-destructive path? Why do the people of Jerusalem refuse to turn back? They cling to their lies and will not turn around. I'm preaching to somebody in the building. Your deliverance is in a turnaround this morning. Your deliverance is waiting for you to turn around. Your deliverance, come on, all over the building, I want to spring. The Holy Ghost is moving right now all across this sanctuary. Come on, the Holy Ghost is moving right now. Somebody call on the name of the Lord while he may be found. Come on, seek ye the Lord while he may be found. Call ye upon him while he is near. Come on, somebody. I know you fell down, but all you got to do is repent. All you got to do is turn around. All you got to do is get your heart right.
right. I gotta get my mind right. I gotta get my spirit right with God. Get back up again. 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 Get back up
I surrender, Jesus. Couple prayer warriors right here. Couple prayer warriors right here. That's it. Come on, this is the moment you've been waiting for. Come on, I need prayer warriors all over the building. There's people being delivered right now. There's people receiving the Holy Ghost all over the building right now. Come on, prayer warriors. There's people being delivered right now. Come on, church, let's pray. Pray in the Holy Ghost. Pray in the Holy Ghost. In Jesus' name. In Jesus' name. In Jesus' name. Come on. Come on, come on, come on. Come on, in the name of Jesus. In the name of Jesus. In the name of Jesus. Come on. Come on. 
Yes. Yes. That's it. Go ahead. Come on. It's just you and God right now. It's just you and Jesus right now. 
Come on, we've got time this morning. We've got time this morning. God is doing some powerful things right now in the name of Jesus. Yes, 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 yes. 